Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We are, uh, as we look into this passage of Scripture tonight, Luke chapter 5, beginning reading in verse 4, we see some incredible, incredible teachings here. Uh, as we put in place Jesus' authority over several things. If you look back into chapter 3, 4, and, and, and preceding this chapter, you see his power over demoniacs. You see his authority over disease. And then interestingly, if you have a study Bible, many of your study Bibles may even say that this is his authority or his power over the disciples. It, it almost sounds a little weird when you first say it that way, that they're put in the same context as his authority over disease and demoniac and sicknesses and so forth. But I submit to you tonight that there's a reason for that, that it actually has its specific place uh, in conjunction with his authority. Why? Because I believe that oftentimes our following Christ, which is a disciple, one who has learned of him, one who is following him, one who has learned in the way as he goes. That's key. As he goes. Not just learned and sitting back but learned and moving forward, going, if you will, to fulfill the Great Commission. And we also know that disciples and apostles are a little different. Uh, in the context of this, of course, we're talking about the apostles. Chapter one, uh, 5, verses 1 through 3, speak, of course, of the people, the multitudes, pressing in against Jesus. But it's interesting, it's interesting in this context that the disciples aren't anywhere to be found. They're not pressing in against him. It's the people that are pressing in against him. And if you study this in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, you'll find out that there were several instances where Jesus went by the Sea of Galilee, for example, and saw these men fishing, and he would tell them to drop their nets. We see where in one account, uh, in Matthew and Mark's gospel, where Jesus came by and he spoke to him and he said, drop your nets, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says they did just that. But as we read this verse, I want you to know this is not the same story. In fact, we even find out after Jesus' death, burial, and ultimately his resurrection, the Bible says that Peter and these men, do you remember what they did? After all that they had gone through, Ronnie, with walking with Jesus, they, they what? Went back fishing. And in fact, as we read this passage, just so you put it in its proper context, they went fishing many times even after they had been called to follow him, dropped their nets, assuming to left everything, only to go back fishing again. That's why we put that in its proper context, that this is Jesus taking now authority over their life. And ultimately, we see in Luke chapter 5, the finality of Peter, James, and John, and, and these brothers saying, you know what, now we're really dropping our nets, Tim. We're really laying it down for Jesus. We're really, really following him now with a helpless, hopeless abandon, if you will. So in Luke chapter 5, I want to read verses 4 uh, through 11 with you if, you, if I may. And it says, now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out in the deep and let your nets down for a draft. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and we have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. Very key. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished 
and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so it was also James, John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, now here's the key, for henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, now they forsook all and they followed Jesus. Let's pray. Father, today as we rightly divide your word, I pray, God, that we would leave completely different than when we came in. Help us, Lord, to be provoked tonight by the teaching of your word and by the power of your spirit. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. I want to bring a message tonight entitled, Living the Astonished Life. And if there's a subtitle to that, I want to give you a subtitle to it, Hooked by Jesus. We hear a lot of fishing stories, and I think many of you men have probably told them you go and catch a fish this big, but before you get through with the story, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. My good buddy, and he's in the back, so I'm going to pick on him. Marty Ellis is a, is a friend of mine, and anytime we, we guys hunt and we take a deer, we're, we're going to send it to the other person and say, man, look what I shot. Well, Marty kind of, he perpetrated one of the greatest frauds of hunter uh, etiquette. He took a picture of someone else's deer, a beast, if you will, and claimed it as his own, sent it to me, knowing he was going to ruffle my feathers. That's just wrong, guys. You can't do that. And uh, so anyway, we went back and forth, and finally he admitted to me that he had been a, a fraud and a lying deer hunter. I want to give you a couple of things real quickly, if I may. Point one, we see him going into the deep. Into the deep. How do we live an astonished life? How do we truly get to a place where we're not only just in love with Jesus, we're not just following Jesus, but we have literally dropped everything and walked into a life of astonishment and a wonder, his renown. Number one, you need to go into the deep. Look at verse 4 in part A. It says, launch out into the deep. There's a wonderful story of a boy, and my wife knows this. I am a huge survival buff. And, and I follow a lot of the Alaskan stories. And there's a hunter, a great hunter in Alaska, who is a, he's a pastor. And he does a lot of ministry up in the Alaskan inner parts of Alaska. And he has a little boy. His wife has been killed. And so he's living there with his son. And he's evangelizing the greater Atlanta, uh, the state, some of the inner parts of Atlanta, the untouched areas, if you will. And he was uh, noticing that his son was going out by himself many days. He would just walk out and be gone for hours at a time. And as he would go back, the father just began to get a little bit more concerned as time went on. And he finally said, you know, son, there's a lot of things out there. There's bears and there's all these things going on. There's a lot of predators and you're not the top of the food chain. So I'm a little bit concerned about you going out without dad and without a gun. He said, why do you keep going out? Why do you keep going out there? He says, I go out there, dad, to find God. And he said, that's a good thing, son. But then when the father replied very gently, he said, I'm glad you're searching for God, but my child, you need to know that God is the same everywhere. And the son said, yes, I know, Daddy, but I'm not. You see, sometimes to truly find God, you really just got to separate yourself from the world. You see, God is the same everywhere. But guess what? You're not the same everywhere, Chad. You're not the, you can't hear God when you don't separate yourself. Psalm 91 and 1 says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High, he shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You see, for me to truly know the wonder and the renown and the majesty of God, i got to separate myself. Sure, God is the same everywhere, Bill, but i got to go launch into the deep. In fact, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, just jot this down, says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might and his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, listen to this. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all saints, which is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I remember as a young boy, I used to go over to the recreation center right across the way and go swimming. And I remember as a young boy that there, was, there were several types of people that would come to the pool. There was that good-looking girl that would come, and, and she had no intention whatsoever of ever getting in the water. Her makeup was perfect. Her hair was fixed. Maybe her bathing suit was, you know, some kind of fancy, something that can't even get wet. And, and she would come, and she would sit on the steps and put just her feet over in the water. You've seen the person. You know who I'm talking about. And then there's the other person, like my mother, who came to swim and had all intentions to swim but cannot swim. She sinks like a rock. She literally will freak out if the water even begins to touch her face. And Lord forbid you touch her hair. You know, the old Aquanet days, that kind of thing. So she didn't really come to swim either. But then there's a crazy kid. You know that crazy kid that when, when he walked in, man, he's stripping clothes off. He pulls stuff. He slings the towel. He goes straight for the what? Y'all say it, for the high dive. That joker goes up the high dive. You know he's not this tall. He goes, he climbs up. He's knocking girls, pretty girls out of the way. He don't worry about if he wets mama's hair. He gets up to the top and woo, and he jumps in and he goes to the bottom. You know why? Because he came to swim. You know what? That's very much likened to who we are as Christians. I'm afraid today that some of us just want to dabble our toes in the person of Jesus Christ. Never have any intent whatsoever to go deeper into the person of who he really is. Others of us have a desire to go further. We may go to church. We may go to Bible study. We may even keep the nursery occasionally. But we really don't have any intent, watch this, to get under and covered in his grace and mercy, love, and who he is and what he wants me and you to do. But then there's that person that says, you know what? I came to know Jesus. I didn't come for you, and I didn't come for that, and I didn't come to hear all that. I came to learn and to know and to follow the person of Jesus. And I thought about that as I was reading this verse, the height, the breadth. But what about the breadth of God? That's covering me all the way around. Several years ago, and I did this in the military, but several years ago, Tyler and I got to go scuba diving. Scuba diving is a little different than going swimming because where you go and scuba dive and you go into the depths, you're covered. Watch this. You don't even know what's going on around you. You go down there. Where you're going, you can't even breathe natural air. Where you're going, you don't even hear natural sounds. Where you're going, listen, you got to have special apparatus. you got to have a little bit of oomph about you because you're going into a place where it's brand new. It's completely unique, and you're not surrounded by the normalcies of life, things that make you comfortable like breathing air, breathing in, and breathing out. When you get into that situation, you are in a hopeless, helpless, abandoned, and I remember going down 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 feet and thinking, what if this thing messes up? I won't even have time to get to the top. See, that is where Jesus wants you to go. He wants you to launch out into the deep. He wants you to go into a place where all the fullness of God surrounds you. So much so, hear me, that if Jesus doesn't show up in your life, you will utterly and miserably fail at whatever it is that you're doing. I, I don't know that we're that way. I think we like to hold on to the comforts and the security blankets of life, if you will. I think Jesus is calling the church to step out into the depths. You know, I preached a sermon one time, a message I heard many, many years ago of the three types of people that go to the beach. There's the shore standers, 
There's those who stand on the beach and they make all these fancy sand castles and, 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 and they, they build rampart walls around their castle and heaven forbid you walk over there and step on their sand castle. Somebody's supposed to get hurt because, you know, that's a big deal, man. You're building the sand castle. How many of you daddies out there built sand castles for your kids? Okay, a couple of you. Do, do you really do that, Terry? And then there's that, then there's that, that edgy, you know, that, that California guy. You know, he's coming out there talking like Jeff Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. How many of you saw that movie? And he's coming out there, and he's just going. He's not worried about, he's not worried about everything going on the beach. You know why? Because he's on the cutting edge. He's going to catch the wave. He's going out there to the ocean. But as you begin to look at those two things, really traditionalists are those who are on the shore standing. They're the ones who are saying, look, we have to sing this way. I have to dress this way, which, by the way, y'all look good in a suit today. You didn't know that you could wear a suit in Northridge, did you? Y'all look very sharp. But see, there's those people that say, hey, we've done it this way for so long. We can't change it. They're short standers. And then there's the, 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 the wave riders, those who are on the cutting edge, the new music, the new look, the new hair comb over, whatever it is, the new shoes, the new stuff. And we're saying, hey, those guys up there on the beach, man, they don't even have a clue what's going on out here, man. This is on the cutting edge. This is amazing. Did you see that wave? But can I tell you something? Both are, are somewhat erroneous in their positions. God help us to not just keep doing the same things that we've always done. We saw that, that Moses made that mistake, didn't he? He kept striking the rock when God said, hey, speak to it this time. But check this out. Don't think, don't think because you heard a new song on Joy FM or you heard a new song by Hillsong or Jesus Culture that you're on the cutting edge. Because let me tell you something, in a few years, young person, you listen to me, you're going to be standing on the shore building your sandcastles going, this is working, I know this is working, this is, this is Hillsong United. And you're going to be doing that. Why? Because all waves end up at the beach. We need to be those depth divers. Hear me, we need to go past the point of where the waves are. We need to put on our breathing apparatus. And we need to go down to that continental shelf at the bottom of the ocean where those waves begin. We need to get down to the source and to the origins of all things great. Go where you can't breathe natural air. Go where, listen, what's your secret place today? Is your secret place riding down the road? I've, I've mentioned this many times. Some of y'all act a total idiot riding down the road with that music on Joy FM. Cut all the way up, man. You were getting down. and I mean, everybody, everybody, you know, that kind of thing. You do it. You know you do. That sounded pretty good, Jonathan. You to try it with you? But watch this. We need to launch out a little further. God didn't send the comforter for you to be comforted. He sent the comforter so that you will learn how to comfort others. But you will never be a feeder of people in their time of need and comfort them until you have first been comforted by the person of Jesus. Secondly, not only do we need to go deeper, we need to use all of our resources. Watch what he said. Verse 4b said, let down your nets for a draft. Notice he did not say, let down your nets for another try at this thing. He said up front, watch this, you are going to catch a load of fish. You see, they've been fishing all day. These men knew how to fish, and they had caught nothing. Now they're coming back in, verses 1, 2, and 3, and they're cleaning their nets. They're settling in for the day. They've been fishing all night because that's what fishermen did in this first century Jerusalem. They would fish all night long, and they would come in, and you know how, how wore out you are when you camp all night, and you go through all that. Man, you feel nasty. You feel dirty, and they had come in, and they were cleaning all their nets. Maybe they're hanging them over their boat, and he gets into the boat, and he goes, all right, guys, let's go fishing. Really? 
not really wanting to go fishing. And he said, I want you to let down. Look at verse 4. Underline this in your Bible. Let down your nets for a draft. Underword, un- underscore the word draft because it doesn't just mean a catch as some of the modern translations want to give you. It literally means a load of fish. There's a difference in that. He didn't just say, come on, guys. I know something really cool is going to happen. He said, you're going to go out and you're going to have a load of fish. He told them that up front. You see, God is already, I heard Keith talk about this morning, you're on the winning team. Man, all you got to do when Satan comes at you is go ahead and quote Revelation 20 and 21 and say where the Antichrist, the beats, and the false prophet are led first into the, into the gates and the pits of hell. Man, listen, when it says he's the key to hell, doesn't mean he goes up and has authority over it. It means he's the way. He's the key into hell. His days are numbered. He is a, his, listen, he, he, is, he is nothing over you. But understand something, if you don't use the resources, all the resources that God has given you, he has made at your beck and call, at your arsenal, every single thing that you need to be a conqueror over the lies of the enemy. But you know as well as I do, we walk through life so frustrated, so downtrodden, so broken, because he lies to us. I'm, I'm going to show you that in a few weeks in a sermon that I'm working on right now. And I'll give you a little a hint to it. Have you ever texted somebody that you thought might be a little upset with you and they don't text you back? What's the first thing you think? I knew it. I knew she was mad. Then you go and draw this huge, ugly scenario of everything that has happened. She's over there talking about me right now. I'll tell you what, I'm good minded right over there. You done, draw, you done drawn all these conclusions. What if? I know this is a far cry. What if they didn't get your text? What if their phone was dead? What if, what if everything is great, but the enemy has brought all this junk into your world? Do you know why he does that? Because he doesn't want you going boldly before the throne of God and telling, hey, telling him, hey, you're a liar. You're an accuser of the brethren. Tell him, say, greater is he that is in me. Look to your neighbor and say, greater is he that is in you. Go ahead and tell your neighbor that right now. Some of y'all didn't even believe. You, you didn't believe it yourself. You know they're not going to believe it. Look at them and say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. But you've got to use all the resources. And here's, what's the, here's the problem. Number three, you've got to quit making excuses. Look at verse 5a. And Simon answered him and said, Master, we have told all night, and we've taken nothing. We see somewhat of an irritation in his voice. And the Lord's command was, let down your nets so that you may... Walk into my promise for a draft. How often are your excuses predicated on your own experiences? How often is God telling you to do something, but because you've never seen it before, you will turn and make every excuse possible? How many times has God told you to do something, and you say, God, I tried that before. It didn't work. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things which you know not of. God is not calling his church to sit around a campfire and brag on the things God did last year, two weeks ago, and just sit there and enjoy the fat of that day. He wants you to expect something great today, something great tomorrow. It's time that we start walking in expectation and quit looking at God when he says, hey, I know you've been fishing all night. I know you've been studying real hard. I know you've been trying to be the best husband and the best wife and the best parent. I know you're trying to be the best. And God, it's not working. He says, no, no, no. You just keep doing what I've called you to do. Why? Because I have got an increase over here that's coming your way. But you've got to keep walking. 
I feel like maybe somebody needs to hear that tonight because I, I believe with all of my heart that the excuses that we make really prevent God from moving at all into our life. Complacency, I believe, is one of the worst enemies of breakthrough in our life. I think God wants so much more for the church. I think he wants so much more for us. But here's the problem. Not only do we make excuses, we hold back from what we know God said to do. I want to, I want to bring your attention to something that I think a lot of times we overlook. Look what he said in verse 4. And then when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. If your Bible doesn't say that, you probably are not holding a, a, a King James, which is totally fine. But, but from the Greek language, I've looked this up. Watch this. He says, launch out into the deep and now let down your nets for a draft. Look at verse 5. And when Simon answered him and said, Master, we've told all night and we've taken nothing. Nevertheless, which would almost imply, okay, God, I surrender. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it mean that to you that, okay, God, I get it, I get it. You're kind of nudging against me. I feel the Holy Spirit speaking. I'm about, to, I'm, I'm about to give over to your will for my life. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. You see, that's not what he told him. He said, I want you to let down all of them. I want you to get all your nets because you're supposed to catch a load that's going to blow your mind. I'm telling you that before you ever take them down off the hanger. You, all you got to do is be obedient and do what I'm asking you to do. But here's the problem. Not only do we, we make excuses, but we hold back from God. Why? And then here's the reality. We come at God half-heartedly. We come at him with only one net, and then what does he do? Then he fills it up, and then it begins to run over. You know why? Because you weren't prepared for the increase that he had for your life. Why are we showing up with one net when he says, give me all of them? Guys, can I tell you the metaphor here in this? The ship is the, is the church. The fish are the people. I prove that to you. He said, drop your nets and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. There's a metaphor here. There's a great story. Everything Jesus did, he did to a greater story, a greater good. There was a lesson for them to learn. And he's saying this to He said, don't just bring a little bit of your resources. I've given you everything you need to show you great and mighty things which you know not of. Follow me. Grab all your nets. Grab all your resources. Guys, that's why we keep harping on this aspect of the whole body finding their place. If me and David go out, there is no doubt in my mind me and David can go out and evangelize some of Thomaston. No question question in my mind but how much greater can we do if the church quits making excuses and comes along and becomes part of the fishing party man we can change the world but oftentimes we show up with just a few of the resources that's holding you back from everything that God has for you to walk in greatness you may have toiled all night you need to realize that if he's caused you to do something, he's about to show you, watch this, that his word transcends any effort that you've made thus far. Have, have, you, ever, have you ever been frustrated in the church? Anybody else besides me? You ever been frustrated sharing your faith? Have you ever been praying for somebody, maybe a loved one? I, I, I ministered with a guy several years ago. I'm going I'm to ask the, the guys to go ahead and start making your way back up. Bam. I was ministering to a guy several years ago, a good friend of mine. He came to me broken. He was one of my youth leaders in, in, in LaGrange. And he came to me broken. 
And he said, Pastor Mark, I, I have a burden from my father. I know that he's not saved. And he, he just broke down. He said, man, I, I don't know what to do. Will you, will you come and witness to him? And I, I told him, I said, I will. I'll do that. But, man, you, you've got to go, and you've got to share your heart. That's your daddy, man. You've got to get on your knees in front of him if, it, if that's what it takes. You've got to cry out to him. You've got to pour your heart out to him. You've got to say, Dad, I don't want you to die and go to hell. I mean, whatever it takes. I, and I told him this. I said, man, you take everything you have into that place, and you lay it down. Hold nothing back. And he called me one day. He said, man, man my, dad, my dad just told me to get out. About Two months later, he called me crying, just sobbing. I said, man, what, what's wrong, dude? He said, my dad's in. He said, I see you. He said, Mark, I, man, he's going to die without Jesus. And I said, you know what? I, I'll go up there. I'll never forget as long as I lived. I walked into that room, and there he lay, and there, one of his good buddies, the man's buddies, was in there. The, the boy wasn't in there. And I walked in, and sit there waiting for the friend to leave or something so I could, you know, hey, man, you're double parked downstairs. I didn't know what to do. You know, I couldn't come up with anything. Hey, dude, your wife's on fire outside. You know, whatever. I just wanted to get him to leave so I could do something. Nothing would work. So I had to bring out everything I had. And, man, I pulled up my chair next to him. I looked him in the face, and he, he knew who I was. And I just, man, I started weeping. I started crying, and I said, man, you know, and I named his son's name. I said, you know, your son loves you. I named his wife, and I said, they love you. They're, they're, they're concerned about your soul. He had liver failure. I said, man, you, you may not live another day. I just poured my heart out to this man, and he looked at me, and he cursed me. He said, I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. Man, that's frustrating. That, that's heartbreaking. But what I walked away with that day is, is that I held nothing back. Sometimes, you know what? You may toil all night. You may give it your best. And you may, you may pour everything you have into something. But watch this. But watch this. Because that happened in my life, it, it kind of affected my faith as it pertains to sharing Jesus. As a pastor, it did. I thought, what did I do wrong? Man, I did all the right things, and man, I was ready to pray the sinner's prayer. Man, we're going to nail this thing down. I was going to baptize him in the, in the little bucket under his bed. You know, I was ready to nail it down. And, and, and not long after that, Jesus brought me to the same exact scenario with a guy who had become septic, and he was up there, and the, and the, the wife called me. She said, my husband's dying. Man, I didn't feel equipped. I called my my other pastor, I said, man, I want you to go with me. He said, I can't, man. I'm, I'm on the other side of town. And I feel like God was saying, Mark, don't hold nothing back from me. Just go. You might have been fishing all night, but I want you to drop all your nets. I want you to put it all on the table. And I walked into that room. There was four people, four friends sitting in that guy's room. The nurse was over there. I thought, this is, this is over before it begins. Same scenario, but man, I looked at him and I went over beside his bed and I grabbed his hand not knowing if he was contagious or anything I just grabbed him and I looked him in the face I started crying I said man Jesus loves you he wants to save you tonight and your wife is, is downstairs right now and, and I couldn't even get it out of my mouth and he looked at me and he said would you pray with me I said yeah man I sure will right there he prayed and asked Jesus into his heart he, he gave his life to the Lord a couple of days later he went to hospice and ended up dying about a week later
And you say, well, what, is all, what does all that mean to me? I, I believe sometimes we're like these guys. He says, drop your nets, and we just want to put a little bit out there on the table and hope it lands somewhere really well. But I want you to understand something, too. You know what? Everybody in this church, everybody in this body, we, we need to sometimes get our co-laborers together. Why? Because Acts chapter 6, you saw this morning with the deacons. The reality is this. Guys, we need to go out together. We need to See, they couldn't even pull all the fish in. When they started pulling the fish in, it was overabounding in their boat. And he said, hey, go get your buddy's boat. Bring them out. And then the Bible says that they begin to sink. You say, why, why is begin to sink an issue? Here's why. Because just like with Peter... When Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on the water, another occasion of fishing story, he stepped out of the boat and he began to walk. The Bible says when he looked at his circumstances, he what? Beginning to sink, he cried out to God, save me. Can I tell you something? How many of y'all ever tried to walk on water, just joking around? I have. Don't, don't, don't judge. Man, you go straight to the bottom. Listen to what it says. Peter was walking on the water. And he noticed his circumstances. And listen to me. Don't miss this teaching. And beginning to sink. He didn't just drop like a rock. Why? Because the power of God was still on him. Even in his doubt. Even in his frustration. Even in looking at his circumstances. We blow right past that, don't we? He's beginning to sink. He didn't sink. He did not hit the bottom of the ocean. He began to sink. And Jesus reached out and grabbed his hand because he said, save me. Notice what happened here. Jesus is never, listen, there's so much he's going to put on our life. But notice, it says they're beginning to sink. Ultimately, what? He's showing them that his power is still on them. They bring all the fish in, more fish than they've ever brought in in their entire life. And then what does it say? And then it says, and they were astonished. He began to repent. He began to cry out to God, forgive me, for I'm a sinful man. What was his sin? His sin was his reluctance to trust God with everything that he had already given him. Where are you today in that context of where Jesus is saying, drop everything? He said, Mark, I don't want to sell my house. I don't want to quit my job. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying laying everything over at the feet of Jesus and say, I want to take the resources that you're giving me. If it's singing, if it's ministering, if it's homeless ministry, whatever it is, I want to go with a helpless, hopeless, abandoned. So much so that every resource I got, every gift that you've given me, every hope, every dream, every desire, though I have failed many, many times, I'm trusting you at your word that we're going to bring in a load of fish. We're going to bring in a return. There's an increase out there to bring in. And that's what God is saying to you today. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. When was the last time you saw the glory of the Lord in your life? I want you to think about that for just a moment. Don't just take that as a random question. When was the last time you saw the glory and the wonder of the king. See, Peter was an expert fisherman. I want you to let this sink in for just a moment. He tried everything that he could and caught nothing. And maybe we give him a little credit that his reluctance to follow Jesus at his very word was because he was such an expert. Because he was reluctant he almost missed the astonishment and the wonder of God. When was the last time you were astonished at his greatness, at his power, at his mercy, at his love, at his generosity, at his healing, at his wonder? I mean, everything that God's got for you. 
When was the last time that you just stepped back and just, oh my gosh. When was the last time you opened this precious word and just were astonished at the love letter, the words that he's speaking to you that are alive, that are going into your soul, that pierce you like a two-edged sword? When was the last time you were astonished by the book that we call the Bible? When was the last time you were astonished when you prayed and realized you just entered into the very throne room of grace? You entered boldly. You went beyond the veil, not because of anything you've done, but because of all that he's done. When was the last time you were astonished when a song was sang and you saw the lyrics that he has done it all for you, that he's held nothing back, that everything that you're singing about is a promise that came out of this book? When was the last time you were astonished to give your tithe and your offering and say, God, use this for your bidding, use this for your glory? When was the last time you were astonished to pass somebody homeless and realize that it wasn't a chore but a privilege to go and feed somebody and to love them with a hopeless, helpless abandon and say, God, it's the love that you gave me because before you came looking for me, I was lost and I was undone and I had no home and I had no hope. When was the last time you were astonished in the house of God, though the house wasn't full? You just said, you know, it's good to be in your house. It's good to hear your word. It's good to hear your songs. When was the last time you were astonished as you looked up and saw an empty altar and said, hey, I want to go fill that altar. I want to walk down to that altar right now and I want to be astonished again. I want to be touched by your hand. I want to be different than when I came in. I want to cast all my nets at your feet tonight, Jesus. When was the last time you were astonished? I challenge you, church, to be astonished tonight. You may have tried this church thing a thousand times. Get up one more time. Get up one more time. What if tonight everybody in this house, man, we're all family, as David said. What if everybody in the house tonight found them a place here and said, God, astonish me. Show me something new. Show me something that I don't know anything about. I don't want to just rest in last week's fat and the joy of what you did last year at Rush and last week at church. Oh, maybe our attendance was down a little bit. God, I want to be astonished because I want to see something new today. I challenge you right now by the authority of God's word to know this. Hear me, church. Hear me loud and clear. You may have never walked the aisles of a church tonight. I am challenging you to come before God's holy throne and say, I want to be astonished. Young person, old person, church person, unchurched person, get up right from where you sit right now and say, I want to be astonished. Right now, everybody in the house, just come to him. Come to Jesus. It's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord with all we have. Mark, I don't have any problems. Oh, God, thank you that you don't have any problems. Come and say, God, what can I do for you? What can I do to help your kingdom grow? What can I do to be a mouthpiece, to be a handshake, to be a love, to be a gesture, to be a hope? Maybe God's calling you to go on a missions trip and you don't even have a desire to go in an airplane. When was the last time you were astonished to do something that you didn't want to do, but you knew God was calling you to do? As he sings, won't you step out and be astonished tonight? Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, 